Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. That's the show, we are the show, where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, and that voice you're not hearing right now is Jacob Johnson, because unfortunately, Jacob is not here today. So, um, he's fine, don't panic. He is uh, at a church retreat, um, and he's also, he's doing some other things too, I think. So, <laughs> anyways, I'll be uh, asking him what the heck he's doing later. Um, but anyways, you're stuck with me uh, for this week. So we've got today, which is Literature Wednesday, where we're breaking down the next chapter in the book Mere Christendom by Pastor Douglas Wilson, chatting about that. And then Wednesday, or uh, not Wednesday, today's Wednesday, Friday, we are going to be breaking down a discussion topic, and I'll be discussing it uh, with you all, I guess. So that'll be fun. Uh, but... Today is Literature Wednesday. Today's focus, uh, at least the focus of this chapter, is freedom of speech. How do we have freedom of speech in a Christian nation, in a Christianized world? What does freedom of speech look like? How is that a biblical principle? And uh, what about those blasphemy laws? How, does, how, does, how do they work in here? Uh, so we've got a lot to chat about, and Pastor Wilson uh, hits all the big points uh, in this chapter. So this will be very exciting. But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And our passage this week is Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. And Jacob picked this. So I'll be breaking this down to the best of my best of my ability, I can words. Uh, but if you'd like to hear his breakdown and why he picked this verse, which I highly recommend you check out, go to our Monday episode, uh, well, we talked about why we're still not voting for Donald Trump. Yeah, you can find that crazy take on our Monday episode. Check it out. Passage is Romans 12, 19 through 20. It says, quote, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. And again, that's Romans 12, 19 through 20. So obviously this is a passage from a time of war, but it very much applies today because we are very much in our own war. And really it's God's war against the evil of this world that comes out of this world. Uh, and he is conquering his enemies right now, making all of his enemies his footstool. And he's called us to be a part of that war, to to take part in that and to go, therefore, disciple all the nations through him. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the chapter today. If we if we get that far in the chapter, we'll see. <laughs> um, but Pastor Wilson talks a lot about that in today's chapter. But this should be fairly obvious and a fairly familiar theme to you already. But I, I think the highlight, one of the highlights here is that we are at war, right? If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Now, that doesn't sound much like uh, war, does it? <laughs> like, right? And if you're familiar with these biblical terms, yeah, okay, that makes sure. Yeah, I know what you're going to say, right? But hold on a second, <laughs> right? Here is this is, this is the paradox, right? We are at war, but this is how we treat our enemies? Oh, but also they're still our enemies and there's 
The Bible does not hold back when it comes to warlike language to the point that children are literally arrows for a father attacking his enemies. <laughs> it's pretty graphic imagery there, right? So um, it, it doesn't shriek and shrink back from the, the language of warfare, of attack, of being on the offensive. We're attacking the gates of hell and they won't sustain, sustain uh, themselves against our blows, against the church's blows. But also our warfare is different, right? Our warfare is not of the flesh, but it has divine power to tear down strongholds. And we're going to talk a lot more about that on our Friday episode when we talk about what it means to be a leader for the king in the realm of business. But I, I want to highlight in this, right, the way we approach our conquering of this world is very different. We don't avenge ourselves. We give place to wrath, right? Okay, we don't let wrath completely overtake us, right? God says, vengeance is mine. It's, it's his. He will take vengeance. <clears throat> he will repay. <clears throat> and we, we are to look on our enemies <clears throat> and, excuse me, and feed them. If they're thirsty, we give them drink and it will confuse the heck out of them. And it will heap coals of fire on their head, right? We're going to talk more about this on Friday and throughout this chapter. But I think that this, along with so many other passages, outlines this strange warfare that we're involved in. And don't let anyone spiritualize it. Don't let anyone say, oh, it's just you're battling sin in your heart. No, we're very much battling the culture, very much getting out in the world and conquering realms of society. Yes, that's what this is. That's the warfare. In addition to the beginning, the first step is conquering sin in your heart, right? And that's a lifelong endeavor. That's your foundation. You can't go from there, but you have to go from there, right? We've talked about that all the time on the show. Uh, but this passage, I think, speaks to that angle of warfare really well. It's a great pick, great pick, Jacob. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, let's 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 get into our chapter today. And today we are reading chapter 11. We read through chapter 11 this week, and I've decided, since it's just me, I can do this. <laughs> I'm making a unilateral decision to just read chapter 11 and not 11 and 13, because 11 has, oh my goodness, so much in it. If I tried to do two chapters by myself, I think I would go stir crazy. So uh, chapter 11 is called The Biblical Necessity of Free Speech, and we're going to tackle several angles in this. So be on the lookout. Watch, because there's going to be three or four different angles on this idea of free speech that we're going to tackle. And, and I hope you're, you're reading along with us and you've kind of read through this chapter yourself, because we're not going to cover everything that could be said about this chapter. I'm, I'm not going to go through word by word and read it to you. It's not an audiobook. I'm going to take excerpts and ideas, and I expect, you know, you've read parts of it, if not the entire chapter. And uh, this will just kind of jog your memory and maybe give you some things to put in our comment section or email us about that you thought were interesting. Give us your own takes. We'd love to hear them. Um, on page 142, he starts out by saying, quote, there's no such thing as absolute free speech. <clears throat> there will always be restrictions on what you can say. Uh, there is no such thing as pure anarchy when it comes to how we speak. This means that we are not being hypocritical by touting ourselves as champions of free speech, while at the same time wanting to see porn banned, right? This is, this is one of those paradoxes, right? It's, uh, and, and I think he goes on to mention this later, it's not, it's not whether, it, or, but it's, it's not whether, but which. You know, which type of, um, 
of speech uh, constriction, if you will, or restriction, will you be subject to? We're seeing the left's version of that. We're seeing the secular humanists version of free speech restriction today. You're not allowed to talk about really much of anything. If you're a white Christian male, I mean, you can't talk about abortion because you're a male. How can you speak about what you know? Are you a woman? You can't speak to that, right? How dare you? Or how dare you say that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman? How dare you say that? You're not allowed to say that, right? And, and so many other things. How dare you say that there's a structure, a hierarchy in marriage? There is not a hierarchy in marriage. Men and women have the exact same rules. You know, just like there's no such thing as a co-pilot and a pilot flying an airplane. They both fly at the same time. Dang it. Oh, that doesn't work. Huh, weird. Uh, we'll figure it out later once the plane crashes. Um, I, there are so many things you, you can't say today. And it's only gets worse every single day. I mean, they're literally rewriting dictionaries. There are words in Webster's Dictionary that you're not allowed to say. And they're rewriting the dictionary so that it's, you know, it's woke. It needs to be woke-avised, right? So much of that. So that's their version of speech restriction. <laughs> and <clears throat> our version, <laughs> as we're going to talk about later, is uh, a form of blasphemy blasphemy laws and discussing what that actually looks like played out right there there there's a difference of opinion in this chapter that pastor wilson has that i'd love to flesh out a little bit more and i think i have more questions than answers walking away from this chapter but we'll get to that but we as christians know that there are things we don't say as christians we don't blaspheme the lord but also we know we don't just go around um you know suppressing people's ability to say things because who are we to, to do that? We, we don't have the power to do that. God will judge them in his own time. And it actually plays really well into our verse this week, right? Vengeance is his. He will repay. We are to feed our enemies, <laughs> right? Give them water if they're thirsty. It's a very different approach. And it's not to say that there's, there's no restriction on speech, of course there is. It's it's not whether, but which. Right. Um, so page 143, he went on and said, quote, one of the things I learned from Rush Dooney is the idea of the inescapable concept. Oh, here it is. <laughs> not whether, but which. It is not whether we will impose morality, but rather which morality we will impose, end quote. <clears throat> and throughout this chapter, excuse me, my throat. I'm just realizing I'm going to have to speak for a whole half hour on my own, and my throat is already revolting against the idea. Um, so uh, the, the, the theme that keeps coming up throughout this whole chapter, and, and really, if you've been following us throughout the past couple of weeks as we've been breaking down this book, it's the idea of <clears throat> there is no neutral territory. There is no point at which morality just gets, you know, hey, let, let's find a neutral spot where neither of us holds to our absolute standards and just find some common ground and just live there. So we have no foundation and we're just standing. We can both stand on sand and sing together. How's that sound? Let's go do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible idea. But in fact, they don't actually do that, right? They don't ever say, okay, we'll stand on sand too. No, they have their foundation it's ridiculously weak it's not even comparable to the rock that is christ but <clears throat> they have their own thing 
they fall back to in secular humanism. It's called themselves, right? They are their own gods in their own minds. Um, and, and so we cannot just say, oh, okay, well, whatever you say, we'll just, we'll, we'll give into that. Cause we don't, we, well, we don't want to be, you know, these, whatever you're making us out to be, we don't want to be these people who are, you know, horrible and only believe the Bible and, and don't come to a middle ground and we don't compromise. Uh, Cause then we just look like we're, you know, some sort of terrorist or something. Oh my goodness. We don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> so we give up the Bible and we say, okay, all right, fine. We'll do whatever you say. Right. And that comes to free speech too. We're doing that today. We're saying, okay, you can, you can tell us what we can and can't say. We'll, we'll bow down to that, but <clears throat> you get to apply your standard but we don't get to apply our standard. That's what we've effectively done. Um, page 144, Pastor Wilson went on and said, quote, religious persecution had been standard operating procedure throughout the ancient world, and it took some time for the yeast of this Christian ideal to work its way through the entire loaf. But it did do so, and the loaf did rise. And so what he's talking about here, he spent an entire section talking about the history of free speech and the history of Christianized countries throughout the world. And every time a, a country was Christianized, free speech became something that was important. Because, as we're going to discuss in just a second, the people who Christianized that country realized, oh, shoot, we're all sinners. We're all fallen. We all can't be trusted to have complete control over someone else's speech. We don't, we, we don't trust ourselves as Christians to have control over other human beings to that degree that we can control what they can and cannot say. We shouldn't. Right? We, if we understand our position before God and how fallen we are, we as Christians will recognize, oh, shoot, I don't want to be in that position. And that's what happened throughout history over time. <clears throat> uh, page 146, he went on and said, quote, Here's a brief historical timeline for you to keep in mind. First, Christian world. Next, post-Christian world. And then finally, anti-Christian world. And so that's, that's kind of the progression, right? We start in, it's a Christianized world. It's a, it's a Christianized nation. We can use America as an example of this. It's a Christianized world, Christianized nation. And then it is a post-Christian world. Then it's, we're all pretending to live in this totalitarian tolerance that he talked about in a, a few chapters ago, right? We're all pretending like everyone's opinion is the same. Everyone, you know, we all have a, you know, we all just want a seat at the table. We all just, you know, we can all just sit here and get along and, and nobody's God and nobody's above anybody else. And nobody's right. We're all on the same playing field. It's a lie. It's a, you know, because they don't want that. And we don't want that. Neither one of us is sitting here saying, oh, yeah, that'd be a good idea. We're all sitting here like, oh, how long is this going to last? <laughs> right. If we've studied history, <laughs> we should all be sitting at the table saying, oh, I wonder how long we're all going to pretend to get along here because we don't get along. That's the thing. It's completely different frameworks of morality. For, for the secular humanist, there is no ultimate standard, which means there's no place that you can derive rights from except from us. And if they come from us, we change all the time, day to day, heck, hour to hour, minute to minute some days. It depends, right? <laughs> like mood changes, our, our ability to self-justify what we do changes. 
all the time. And so if that's our standard, then we have none. If our standard is whatever we say goes, then we have no rights. The founders understood that. That's why they're inalienable. They come from outside of us. But hey, we're seeing this played out now, right? We're in, we're actually post-post-Christian. Post-Christian was us pretending we could get along. Now we've all come to our senses and we've realized, oh, shoot, we can't. But we gave up so much ground as Christians that now it's become an anti-Christian world. Now we're in that other stage where they're actively saying, no, your worldview is not okay. Ours is the only one that's okay. And when they are in charge of, the, of saying that, free speech goes out the window. And you're seeing this all over the place. <clears throat> A little further down on page 146, uh, Pastor Wilson said, quote, The reason why the post-Christian secularists could applaud free speech and the anti-Christian secularists cannot is the same reason why the prodigal son could buy free beer for all the ladies. He was using his father's money, end quote. We, we were living on the fumes up until now, until very recently, we've been living on the fumes of a Christianized world, Christianized West, Christianized America. And now the fumes are running low. <laughs> it's, it's miraculous that God has spared us this long. But we, we cannot keep spitting in God's face forever and expect nothing to change. That's what's going on. We see inflation rising. We see the housing market going ballistic. We see, you know, economies collapsing around us. We see all sorts of crazy things happening. We see, you know, LGBTQ people literally everywhere. No shame. Right. And, and this is what happens. This is what we get when we're a nation under judgment. And this is what we get when we, when people finally come to their senses and say, oh, why are we pretending to be Christian again? <laughs> so now we've lasted this long because they were still pretending. Now they've given up and now it's on. <laughs> so uh, page 146, he went on and said, quote, if you begin with autonomous man as the starting point of your reasoning, you cannot get to the freedom of individual men and women as your conclusion, end quote. This was harped on all throughout this chapter and really throughout this whole book. Um, and, it, you know, he's obviously pulling a lot from um, Greg Bonson's works on the, the myth of neutrality and on all that kind of stuff. Van Til, same deal. Rush Dooney, a lot of that um, in his own works, of course. I mean, Pastor Wilson's wrote, you know, has written so many books. Um, but if you would like to, you know, see a ton of other examples on this topic, I highly recommend checking this book out. Um because it's, it's just, there's, there's so many different angles to look at that you don't even see coming. <clears throat> so many things you take for granted that in a post-Christian world will not exist. <clears throat> I mean, the idea of people getting to say things and be free in their speech or have anything like rights is a fairly new concept because the West was conquered by Christ. But we as the church gave ground. And so now all these things we've taken for granted, the fact that people generally want justice, that's going away. Look at what happened during the summer of love. Look what's probably going to happen this year, given it's an election year. Look what the FBI did during January 6th, right? To all those people. And it is still doing, persecuting them for no reason, for walking through a lobby, right? This is what they do. And so 
in a post-Christian world, and actually in, a, in an anti-Christian world, like what we're living in now, nothing can be taken for granted. None of the blessings we've enjoyed will stick around for long, especially our freedom of speech. And I mean, we're living proof of this. We were kicked off of YouTube five times simply for stating facts that they didn't agree with. Facts, literally statistics about the, the poisonous jab that Donald Trump created and that his administration and the people really in control were forcing people to take if they wanted to keep their jobs. Right? We brought the facts. We said, no, this is killing people. This is a horrible, horrible thing. Don't do this. And we did it several times in several videos and almost all of them. YouTube said, nah, sorry, you're not allowed to share those facts with people. And they shut us down. That's why we left YouTube, right? It's happening in the medical sphere. It's like literally, it's happening everywhere where they now get to say, now you can say this, you, can, you can't say this, you can say that, you can't think this, you can think that. That's what they do. There is no free speech anarchy. It doesn't exist. Uh, page 148, quote, Christians who believed the Bible were the ones who pioneered the idea that those who were in error should be accommodated. That accommodation is not infinitely elastic. It cannot be and never is. But it was true accommodation. And it was kept in working order so long as Christ and his word were honored. End quote. Everything I've just been saying this whole episode. Right? It's not elastic. Right? We have things. Sure. Yeah. There are clauses in the First Amendment. There were definite, there were clauses there and you should go look those up for freedom of speech. Doesn't mean it's, it's anarchy to say everything and literally anything, right? But it's a heck of a lot freer than what it is right now under their control. Um, Sue, so I'm going to move to page 152. We're just about wrapping up here. I think we've only got, oh my goodness. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I've got like five more quotes. We won't get through all those today. Um, page 152, uh, he said, quote, we do not hang on free speech so that we might talk about Jesus. We hang on to Jesus so that we might talk with each other. We do not adopt freedom of speech so that we might fumble our way into the truth. No, we are given the truth by the grace of God. And part of that truth includes how we are to treat those who have not embraced it yet. End quote. So, I mean, this is... <laughs> speaks for itself, right? We, we are not just freedom. We're not just saying we want freedom of speech just so we can share the gospel just a little bit longer, right? No, we are Christianizing a nation here. Okay. We are creating something that is going to last generations. <laughs> this is not just a pitiful, please, please just let us, let us just share the gospel. Was that how the, the, all of the people in the book of Acts acted? We're spreading the gospel. Were they begging and pleading and just, no, <laughs> they were confidently and boldly going. And if they died at the hands of persecution, they died, but they kept going. They weren't begging and pleading and, well, please, please just let us, let us just have a little bit of free speech just so we can share the gospel. That's all we want to do. We just want to get people off of this earth. That's all we're doing. No, they recognized we were doing so much more than that. Um, and, and that's what Pastor Wilson's talking about here, right? We hang on to Jesus so that we might talk to each other, so that we can have sense, so that we can be people who are not literally monkeys. 
that's evolution, man. Making a monkey out of himself. That's what he does. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. He's a fool. And he becomes unwise, right? That's what Romans 1 talks about. He becomes a fool. His, his mind is clouded. And so we hang on to free speech. We hang on to these things through Christ because we can only actually have that in Christ. Otherwise, we turn into a fool. So we're not hanging on to this just to share the gospel, just to get people off the earth, right? But we're given the truth. This is from his quote. We are given the truth by the grace of God. And part of that truth includes how we are to treat those who have not embraced it yet, right? So we are compassionate. We care about our neighbors, care about the people around us enough to say, yes, I respect your right to say what I don't agree with, <laughs> right? Uh, page 154, quote, the principles embodied, embodied in these laws, he's talking about the, the uh, theonomic laws, the Mosaic law, the principles embodied in these laws do still apply, but the circumstances they were addressing are no more. And the central circumstance that has been transformative for all human cultures has been the coming of the Christ. So this is talking about, um, he spent a lot of time talking about uh, theonomy and theonomic laws, which is great. This is tremendous to talk about because there are all sorts of blasphemy laws, right? Stonings and, and whatnot for blasphemy. How do we interpret these, these laws, right? Um, <clears throat> he took a very interesting approach I hadn't heard before, um, but it's, it's basically what I was beginning to outline at the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of the, uh, more to the middle of this episode. His general approach was, uh, Christians will not trust themselves to have the power, have that level of power over someone else and over, um, over these, these, over people, their neighbors have the power to silence their speech like that on a whim because they say so. Right. And he also brings up the point, you know, the, these same Christians who don't want to give that power to civil authorities to have absolute authority to shut down people's speech, uh, who was also murdered and crucified because of blasphemy laws. Christ was. That's why he was crucified. <laughs> That's how they got him, right? <laughs> was blasphemy laws. So we, more than you know, anyone else, should be leery of, uh, hold on a second here. <laughs> they, this is what they did to our king. Um, we need to be very, very careful here. Um, so he talked a lot about the case law system, talked a lot about um, you know, how there was precedent in Israel, how very much like our law system today, we have precedent that's set, which determines the boundaries of law that we work within, uh, which is why you didn't see all of these stonings and things happening, because that was the fullest degree, the fullest extent of the law, but it, it rarely ever got to that. Um, the whole precedent system kind of worked that out. So anyways, really good read. I highly encourage you to check that out. Um, but, uh, you know, he was talking about all of these different um uh, blasphemy laws, uh, page 157. Here we go. Quote, those who want the government to have the right to kill blasphemers are also asking for the government to have the right to kill those who rebuke their blasphemies, right? Oh, okay. As the government, I might say, oh, so, so you're saying your neighbor over there, um, I should kill him because he's committing blasphemy. Well, um, yeah, okay. Maybe I'll do that. But I think also you're committing blasphemy. And so you're going to die too. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe years down the road. Okay, we just decided that's blasphemy now. 
So you're going to die. That, that happens. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And if, we're, if we understand our leaders and if we understand ourselves, we won't give our leaders the ability to do that. That was his basic premise, his basic argument throughout this chapter. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, he went on, I'll add this before I have two minutes just to make my case a little bit, just for, I have a quick rebuttal, but it's small. And actually it's more question asking a question than it is a rebuttal. (laughs) So here we go. Here's what he said on page 157. As a Christian who believes that all governments are theocratic in principle, I want our deep suspicions about the depravity of human nature to begin with our rulers and not with their subjects. I think that's very fair. That makes a lot of sense. My only question here is at what point, um, at what point do we say that a certain set of laws are no longer um, to be applied in that way because we don't trust ourselves to apply them correctly? And then we say another set of laws should be applied in this way in principle um, because that's the job that the civil government has been given to do, right? And this is a question I would love to um, ask uh, someday and, and discuss. I think this is something that would be really good to, to discuss. Um, why are there some laws that should be applied and some laws that shouldn't? Um, and I think this is something that we're all, we all need to work out as Christians before we'll be ready to step into positions of authority, right? Before we can, we can govern better than the heathen, we need to have these things straightened out. And so this is just a question that I have. And if you have answers, I would love to hear them, throw them in the comments. Um, let's, let's talk about this. Cause I think this is a really good conversation and he brings up some really good points. Um, I'm just a little, you know, little point. I'm just a little confused. So, um, but I hope this was insightful. I hope this gave you some things to study, to look into. Um, he made some tremendous points, backed it all up, some great facts, historical facts and all. So uh, check out the book, Mere Christendom by Pastor Douglas Wilson. Um, and this was again, chapter 11. Yes, chapter 11. Um, talking about the biblical necessity of free speech. We're looking forward to seeing you on Friday. I'll be back to discuss uh, leadership for the king. This is one of our final episodes on in this series talking about the business. That's right. Watch out, Kuiper. We just added a new sphere. Um, so it's really an extension of the family or the church uh, in some ways. So we'll be breaking that down on Friday. Thanks for watching or listening. And until then, remember everyone in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.